This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. Yes, and he's back. I am and gentlemen. back in studio. I mean, these stupid sick kids are just get in the way of yeah, of with holes in their hearts. Um, thanks for holding the fort. Uh, cool podcast last week oh, thank with you. Uh, Mpiake. Uh, I'm very uh, sad to have missed it. Actually, I really was looking very much forward to it. But we can have him back on. Yeah, I think we should. Actually, I think people really enjoyed it. If you haven't listened to it yet, it's very worthwhile downloading. Um, you want to talk about the South African Reserve Bank? Uh, do I? I, I like want to fall asleep. Okay. Well, first of all, this, okay. The, the point of the South African Reserve Bank is to preserve the integrity of the currency, right? Uh, the rand has lost ninety nine percent of its value since nineteen seventy five, roughly. So they're doing a shit job anyway. And number two, the rand doesn't matter at all in the long run because it won't exist as a currency for much longer. This is postmodernist Ramon. It's a, no, it's a new phase it's that is in. Nothing matters. Transhumanist progressive Ramon. <laughs> thanks to the guests we have in studio, which will make the rand basically obsolete in the coming years. Well, the RAND, if the South African Reserve Bank, with, with or without them, actually will matter not because the Treasury is now apparently captured, inverted commas. Um, it's, like, it's like saying so that… So they, they're, uh, they're just going to burn the money until like, inflation goes through like the roof. It's like capturing the printing press. You give a shit when you got the internet, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Except that um, all other like major things are not happening in, in, in what we're about to talk about, which they might get to happen there, uh, but your supermarket… Currently, exchanges in rands with their uh, farmers. Pick, well, pick and pay um, are going to start taking in Bitcoin payments. Yeah, and but you, apparently it's on hold, but it's coming. Yeah, we'll 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 get there. But but uh, yeah, I, I think it it does matter a little bit. I'm not as uh, what trans what postmodernist transhumanist. I'm going to just call you postmodernist until you like stop with this nonsense of nothing really matters. Um, oh, talking about postmodernist Ramon. Yes. If you want to see postmodernist Ramon, uh, our Afri Forum interview. Yes. Uh, that should be released by the time you hear this podcast. Well, it was released last Thursday on oh, YouTube. Goodness me. I'm, well, I'm behind the no, curve. No, but today's Thursday. Oh, this oh, will be released ah, on Tuesday. Ah, see what Fuck Fuck Ramon. My word. This is the time machine So thing. if you listen to this on Tuesday, it was released <laughs> last Thursday, the day we are recording this podcast. Pre-recording. So it should be out. Yeah. All right. And uh, you can uh, – some very moronic troll because um, there's a hashtag um, – and what's the full hashtag? So the, the, the frame that I put up on Twitter was hashtag context, yeah. which is the name of the show. Yes. And then some guy just circled hashtag cont and then put an arrow to my face. Which is quite funny. I thought it was brilliant trolling. It, it, it is I good really trolling by someone who is a very weak individual usually. But but on this occasion, he he managed to get yeah, right. I'm not going to dignify no, he, him with he, his he, name. No, he doesn't get his name. But no, uh, no. yeah, good, good. No. for the first time in five years, he actually made me laugh. <laughs> Yeah, so you can watch that. It's, uh, I thought quite short, actually. It's um, 20 minutes. We only had 20 minutes. Yeah. Because who knows what. But anyway, come, let's talk about, let's talk about the guest, Jonathan. Ah, oh, fine. That's why we're here. It's all about us, Ramon. Uh, so our guest is a return guest in a very different capacity this time. Um, Justin McCarthy is in studio. Uh, last time chatting to us about the advertising industry. So that was an interesting podcast. You're welcome to go back and listen to. This time, talking to us about cryptocurrency, he is one of the, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the founders of Project Ubu, which is a cryptocurrency um, project, 
Uh, you're going to explain a bit more about it because I'm, I'm still not completely in the loop. And also looking at something towards what would be a universal basic income. Uh, but let's hear it from the horse's mouth. Welcome to studio. Thanks, guys. Lovely to be back. Right. So, I mean, let's start uh, right at the beginning of the project. Okay, well, actually, let, let's set some definitions down for those laymen among us who have no understanding of cryptocurrencies and underlying technology. So, if you could, Justin, a blockchain, if you had to define that, what would it be? Okay. I'm really going to speak uh, – A, let me just – uh, say something in response to Jonathan's introduction. The last time I was here, I was talking advertising. I spent 25 years in that industry. So from advertising into cryptocurrencies is quite a leap, um, <clears throat> which I made uh, a couple of years ago um, uh, as a, a hardcore libertarian um, when I discovered cryptos and blockchain technology. Um, I've been involved in the tech world uh, for about 10 years. It was a it was a, a a high super highway to libertarian values uh, and to in, individual human rights and rights to uh, self determination, um, particularly in the financial world, which is where a lot of the crypto stuff is based. Yes. So to answer your question about blockchain, a blockchain is a ledger, simple ledger, credits and debits. Every bank in the world has one. Um, every accounting system in the world has one. The difference between – and there are various types of blockchains, so I won't get technical. But the difference between a private blockchain, which is pretty much what your bank runs, FNB, Standard Bank, APSA, whatever, and a distributed ledger or, or a public blockchain is <clears throat> a private blockchain or ledger is administered by um, an institution, by centralized authority, which means that anyone – and I'm not knocking banks or anybody – but means that anyone with um, uh, particular rights levels to the database on which your account accounts data sits and everyone's accounts data sits is vulnerable to human intervention. Somebody can go in and literally steal your money, move it somewhere else. Obviously, banks have lots of protection systems in place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but nothing prevents anyone with that level of authority from creating absolute chaos. And and we've seen this before. We've seen it with hackers in particular. Yeah. Yeah. But but even before that with people in banks, you know, spending oh, yeah. you know, at high authority <clears throat> levels spending their clients' money in ways they shouldn't have been doing and then losing white people's money. Crime. Yeah. Um, very 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 common. I mean, you talk to the banks, any of the bank executives on the private uh, over a dinner um, and they will tell you that they lose billions a year to white collar crime. So it's the syndicates that go around, they co-opt people inside the bank with certain levels of authority, and next thing, you log into your internet banking on your business, and you're missing 500,000 rand. Sounds like bank capture. Sounds like bank capture. Um, <clears throat> right. So it's so those, hijackable. Right. Uh, so and, and, those, and those are the defects within that, that system, right? That's the fundamental – That's the, security is the fundamental issue of everything on the internet. Yes. Okay. So what a distributed or, or public blockchain does – is that it decentralizes that authority outside of the ambit of any uh, organization, government, regulatory authority, whomever that may be, into the network itself. And the network is made up of hundreds of thousands or millions, depending on the size of the network. So if we talk something like Bitcoin, which is the one that that everyone knows most, um, Bitcoin is the currency that runs 
the Bitcoin protocol, which is the distributed ledger, which is the mm. blockchain. It's like it, it, so. Bitcoin would be like FNB, it, it, like one <clears throat> one bank almost. Bitcoin would be like the Fed. Okay, all yeah. right. Better better analogy. Yeah, the, the or the bank. or or yeah. It's, uh, so the Federal Reserve, which is the U.S. central bank equivalent, or the PBOC, the People's Bank of China. Those are the two giants in the world. So that's Bitcoin, um, the equivalent. So how a transaction on the blockchain works is there are millions of computers connected to um, the network, to the blockchain network, whichever one it is. But let's just call – let's just talk Bitcoin in this instance so I don't get con- – I don't mix it up with other things because I'm going to confuse you and your audience. So um, there are millions of computers connected to the to the Bitcoin network that run um, – the Bitcoin core that, that run the Bitcoin network. Uh, sorry, that run the Bitcoin protocol. It's open source protocol. It's downloaded. You download it onto your computer. In the early days, you could literally process Bitcoin transactions on an iPhone. That's how little computing power it needed. Now it's almost nine years old. In December, it'll be nine years old. Now you need farms, uh, server farms. They're not actually servers. They're um, I'm not going to get into the technology of it, but they're giant. Uh, they're giant databases. Oh, not databases. They're giant, giant uh, processors. Mm. You know what a CPU is? Your computer CPU. Yes. Yeah. A GPU is a is a supersized version of a CPU that runs gaming systems and the likes graphics. Um, so you get uh, Bitcoin farms, blockchain farms that have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of GPUs, which uh, which is required to, for the network to scale. So it's a, it's a Metcalf's law of, of, of scaling. So the more transactions there are, the more computing power you need. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and these transactions are vetted by all those different millions of people on that protocol. Uh, yeah. So uh, what happens is um, – and this is where I'm afraid it gets a slightly technical. So a single transaction – transactions are batched into what are called blocks. And a block – uh, at present on the Bitcoin network is, I won't get into SegWit and various other technologies, technicalities, is, is a megabyte of data. So depending on the size of the transaction, particularly financial transactions, they're pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, it's a couple of lines of code. Uh, you can put, you can fit a thousand transactions into, um, one block. Each one of those transactions has, uh, is, is crypto secured with two keys. Um, which is a 256-bit uh, 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 character, so the strongest, <clears throat> excuse me, the strongest form of coding, and a 24-character alphanumeric, unique alphanumeric code. Uh, there's private and there's public keys. Again, I'll stay away from too many of the technicalities. So essentially, what happens is the transaction, your transaction, goes into a block. Every single transaction in that block gets verified by at least 51% of the entire network. And how they know that is that those computers are basically running uh, algorithms and verifying that you, if I send you one Bitcoin, that I have one Bitcoin in my account, and before I can spend it, double spending, because what the blockchain did was solve the, the, the issue of digital money, which is the double spending. Um, and it verifies that I have a Bitcoin in my account and that your account is the correct account to which it's meant to go to, and that is verified by millions of computers around the world almost instantaneously. It does take a couple of minutes, depending on the time of day, speed, etc., etc. 
um, <clears throat> and then and then the transaction is approved. It goes into the block, and then that block gets added to the chain, which is literally it's like a Lego block. Mm. It's your Genesis block, your very first one, and every single one is built on top of that. Um, and then the reward is to the network, the people who generate these uh, these these server farms and these nodes. They process the transactions. They process the transactions. Well, they don't actually process it. They approve it mm. or they verify it, not approve mm. it. They verify it. Um, they are – those are called miners. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about the history of Bitcoin and why, why – how Bitcoin was set up and why they're called miners. Um, but we'll come back to that if you remind me. So they do the verification and the node or group or even individual that cracks the crypto, um, cracks the crypto clo- code to match the, uh, the, the, to match the, um, the, the cryptographic number on the, on the opening of the block. Then that locks the block. Right. And then the block is secured and it's, 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 uh, immutable. You cannot, it can never go backwards. You can't change it. Um, and they are the, – the miner for every block, there's a reward, a block reward, and that's the currency of Bitcoin itself. Right. So basically, if we had to summarize, so I want to send you a Bitcoin, Justin, or you, Jonathan. Well, not you. I don't – no, I'll send one to Justin rather. Yeah, thank you too. Um, so I, I go to my wallet on my phone, my app. I You give me your uh, – Wallet part, uh, not you your just wallet give, address. I just give you my public key, which your, is a wallet address. Your public key, uh, so I send it to you, yes. and then five minutes later, it's in your wallet, and then you'll see that there's a there's a transaction confirmation Ver- at the bottom yes. there. And during that time, all the processing power on the on the blockchain uh, through these miners verified that, along with hundreds of other transactions of the same kind, so to speak. And so once. You get my, the Bitcoin that I sent you. The reward for the people who verify that transaction is a piece of Bitcoin for themselves. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I think if if I may, can I go and can I tell the history of Bitcoin yeah, in like do. two minutes? Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Excuse me. <coughs> okay, so uh, the Bitcoin protocol, which is a protocol open source, so it's like uh, HTML, um, uh, any internet-based code. Is all open, open source. Well, not any internet-based code, but uh, the guys and the people, the women who built all these open protocols, have never done so for financial gain. They did it for higher purposes, if you like. You use that phrase quite openly. Um, so the the people, person, group uh, that created the Bitcoin protocol uh, is pseudonym, pseudonymous. Pseudonymous. Yeah, pseudonymous. Pseudonymous. Yeah, okay. Need to consult my lexicon. Pseudonymous. Here we go. Let's let's stick with the tech and not the language. (laughs) Uh, A guy by the name of a group by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, there's legends about Satoshi Nakamoto. Was it he or she, a bunch of people? It doesn't matter. The beauty of Satoshi, the group or individual, is that they wrote this protocol, they wrote the software, distributed to, to the world. When it was up and running, they mined the first whatever. When it was up and running and stable and starting to be adopted, they vanished off the face of the earth. And they've not, they didn't vanish off the face of the earth, but they've never revealed their identity. So you talk about a higher purpose, there's something 
in the crypto community, the blockchain specialists and the Bitcoin uh, hardcores, Satoshi is a deity. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, he I mean, created the thing. Yeah. He created the thing, and he solved what for, for, for decades has been an unsolved problem in financial, digital electronic financial transactions, which is the double spend issue. So let me explain what the double spend issue is. So if I have uh, if I have a hundred rand in my bank account, um, I log on to my internet banking, and um, I pay you Ramon hundred rand, and I simultaneously pay Jonathan a hundred rand. Um, you both get a hundred rand. The bank now realizes I'm a hundred rand in debt to them. Mm. I have a facility, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, that doesn't happen quite in reality on internet banking, but um, you know, uh, card transactions, for instance, debit and credit card transactions um, with certain merchants. There's a you know, every merchant has a limit, yeah, and you only need authorization uh, above a certain limit. Yeah. So if you get a pick and pay, uh, you can use tap and go if you're with FNB. If your transaction is under two hundred rand, that actually doesn't even go to the bank for approval. It's pre-approved. To that limit, I then walk to the next pick and pay five minutes later and spend another two hundred rand tap and go. I've double spent that money. Okay. So and if you only had two hundred rand in your account, had, only had well, left of credit, then theoretically the bank is down two hundred bucks. The bank is down two hundred, and I owe them two hundred bucks exactly. Mm. So this has been a you know, and particularly peer to peer payments. Um, uh, so uh, any form of electronic. A payment that does not run through a banking system, so any form of token or other alternate currency, e-buck, whatever, whatever, I can pay you and I can pay you simultaneously the same amount of money and I can have no money in my account um, and that would then, uh, I would A, double spend or B, uh, default. You mm-hmm. wouldn't get the money because the, there was an in- intermediary like a bank that wouldn't honor it or if there was no intermediary, one of you would get the 100 tokens I uh, sent you and the other one wouldn't. Um, yeah. And I, but I would get your both of your services in return. So right. it's a double spend problem. Okay. So the reality with the, with the blockchain is that it it fixed that, it solved that. Where without using a, and this is the most important part, without using a uh, centralized authority like a, a bank or a reserve bank or government of any shape, form, or regulator. So it's an entirely self regulating, entirely self sufficient ecosystem. Hmm. And it's it's spontaneous order at the end of the day uh, under these protocols. I mean, if you if you all work within the same protocols, spontaneous order just naturally comes from it. That's what that's the genius behind it. The genius behind it is exactly that. It's 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 the common purpose. Um, so, so I mean, there's lots of unfortunately, to some extent, unfortunately, the whole blockchain and Bitcoin, Ethereum, crypto space community. Uh, most of the stuff that that people read and and talk about is the value of it. Um, Bitcoin purists and crypto purists don't actually give a damn about the value of it, the dollar value or any other value. It's about uh, it's about the potential that the protocol will bring the world, which is in essence a um, non-government, unregulated, not, not unregulated, sorry, self-regulated. A system of financial system of distribution with almost zero fees, very very low transaction fees. Um, you uh, you buy something on your credit card, you're going to pay two percent to Visa via your bank, and the merchant's going to pay another two, three, four, five percent depending on what account they have. 
So, uh, and then the other component of it, of course, is that it's a deflationary currency. So all all, all uh, proper cryptos, and there are some really rubbish cryptos out there. Uh, so there's a small uh, basket of of real proper properly developed cryptocurrencies. They are um, they're deflationary. So um, in the sense that you said up front about the Reserve Bank SRB, and the rand is worth. One percent or three percent of what it was in 1975. Yes. Okay. The U.S. dollar. Let's go back there. The U.S. dollar abandoned the gold standard in 1913. Yes. Delinked. Um, should I talk about the gold standard? Yeah, go for it. Okay. I think <clears throat> this is going to ramble. I'm going to be doing a lot of talking. No, about no it. problem. Okay. So essentially, how banking worked in the in the past, uh, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of the gold standard, is that <clears throat> the U.S. the Federal Reserve, which didn't exist at the time, it was the U.S. government would only issue currency, as in dollars, to equal to or up to or equal to the value of the gold bullion they held in, in reserves, in their vaults deep down underground. So if you had a billion dollars, you could only lend a billion dollars. As soon as they delinked from the gold standard and created the Federal Reserve… And started printing money. They started printing money. So, as you well know, uh, South Africa's got actually very high standards, which is one of the reasons that South African banking system, which is one of the reasons that, and that's set by the Reserve Bank. So, I'm giving them a, a, a nod here. I think the SARB has done a fantastic job. The Treasury at the time did a fantastic job to protect South Africa from the 2007 crash. Um, the US went uh, what, $3 trillion under underwater just from the subprime mortgage crisis. So, <clears throat> banks will have to have reserves. In other words, you have to have a percentage of the money that you lend in reserve that used to be 100%. It's now down to – some parts of the world is down to 5%. Not, not 2% even. Possibly. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not a banker, so I'm not that familiar with it. But I, I, I'm aware of some that are 5%. South Africa, it's, I think it's 25%. Okay. Uh, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. So basically, every time you deposit 100 rand into your bank, they lend out 75 rand. Uh, or they're yes. able to. Yes, they're able to. Yeah. So the US dollar, going back to the value of the rand, uh, you think the SRB has done a done a bad job. The US dollar was worth in 1913 was worth obviously 100 dollars. In today's terms, okay, the same US dollar is worth six cents. It's devalued by 94 – sorry, it's 4 cents. It's devalued by 96% since that time. That's inflation. So – and the inflationary part is where the banking system is pernicious. Um, And I am having a go at banks here, and I've got lots of friends in the banking industry. Um, It's not their fault necessarily. This is how the system has developed over Mm. hundreds and hundreds of years. So – um, we haven't had a better one until Satoshi Nakamoto and a bunch of others came along. And it's this – the cryptocurrency well, blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies built on top of that pro- those protocols are – if you thought the internet was transformative, pro- blockchain protocols are probably 10 or 20 times as transformative. It will change every single business process in the world, not just financial systems. Everything else. Oh, yeah. Everything from healthcare to identity to voting. Along with artificial intelligence and yeah. big data, et cetera, et cetera. So, the, the, you know, there's a huge amount of convergence. All right. 
But anyway, let's not go there. And well, someone, let's, and, and let's someone go there, but let's go there a little bit slowly. No, no, hold on. And uh, and for the nasty lefties out there who hate capitalists, someone did this for free. Yes. It was all built for free. And it's going to change the way we do everything in the future. Not only built for free, but there are 357 Bitcoin Core developers. Now, Bitcoin Core is the protocol, the official Bitcoin protocol. Right. There are forks off the, off the network, but never mind those. Um the 357 are in the world. They spend, I don't know, whatever. Some of them spend an hour a day. Some of them spend 12 hours a day writing code for that network for no recompense, no material uh, compensation whatsoever. Mm. Yeah. So it's the idea that's important. It's the value that's important yeah. to them. Okay. Hold on. Before we get to this is going to change the world as we know it, I think most people are going, okay, we've well, just described the currency. So, you know, it's um, – and it's very much described in monetary terms. Yes. So when you start saying, well, it's going to change everything, they go, well, no, it's not going to change everything. So you need to explain that a little bit more. Okay. Um, that's probably a podcast on, on its own, but I will give you just one basic example of it. Just The, the second – Best known crypto uh, currency is Ether, uh, which runs on the Ethereum uh, protocol, which was written by uh, not a pseudonymous person, written by a, a, a young gentleman by the name of Vitalik Buterin. Vitalik was a Russian born um, a mathematical genius. His parents recognized that uh, emigrated to Canada and he was schooled in Canada, didn't even get anywhere near university. And he released the Ethereum protocol uh, 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 onto the internet, so open source, at the age of 19. If you look, if you if you if you if you want to know what a geek looks like, Google an image of Vitalik Buterin. Imagine Mark Zuckerberg, but more nerdy. No, no, no. no. Mark Mark Zuckerberg looks like looks like uh, a shape shifting lizard. No, I mean, comparison to Vitalik, Mark Zuckerberg looks like uh, Gareth Liff or uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure Gareth would love the comparison. Uh, uh, <laughs> definitely. No, I've seen Vitalik. He's like you've seen him. Okay, yeah. horrifically. All right, so, nerdy, yeah, yes. nothing, nothing, nothing to necessarily aspire to. Anyway, so he creates this. Nobody's a genius. So fine. So he creates Ether mm. um, or Ethereum. Okay, so the Ethereum network now is a smart contract network. So it's actually not built for. Um, you can do financial transactions on it, but that's not why it was built. He built it for – or he created it. And, of course, there are th- thousands of developers who have improved it along the way. But he built it uh, to um, uh, to be able to create what are called smart contracts. And a smart contract basically takes any form of agreement on the planet. So your employment contract, your uh, agreement with your bank um, – your deed of sale, uh, any legal document, any legal document on the planet, reduces it to a few lines of code, uh, which is then uh, – and a simple example is if X is delivered by Y date, then Z happens. Mm. And it's all encoded and it's all automated. Um, so talking about the legal profession, and you're a lawyer – uh, between artificial intelligence and smart contracts, I would say that within the next decade, 50% of lawyers in the world will be out of a job. Only? 
That's a pity. It's marvelous. It could be more. It yeah, could be more. It's absolutely I mean, marvelous. I mean, just, but, just remember, it's the it's the ninety nine percent that makes but, us look bad. But hold on, let me. Let me yeah, sure, <laughs> that's hundred percent correct. Um, let me let me interrogate that a little bit. Mm. So, yeah, if X happens for Y, then Z. All right, but. But, you know, a multinational company buys another multinational company. There's a contract that's a few thousand pages long. It's very intensive. There's a lot of stuff happening in there. There's, 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 you know, the big stuff of this is how much we're paying you down to the smallest little thing that our uh, sub-satellite branch in the Philippines, uh, where there are four employees, will continue to keep their jobs and they will each get a 6% raise every year. Mm. Um, and, and that's how intensive that contract is. Um, how does a few, that reduce to a few lines of code? Well, I mean, a big one like that obviously wouldn't. It would be a multiple, uh, it'd be a multiple set of, of smart contracts. Okay. That would be sequentially, um, linked, linked. Okay. So if, 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 if a tier three, something didn't happen, uh, nothing beneath tier three would, would be able to proceed if it was coded that way. Yeah. So, so, so but why? Okay. So then <clears throat> the next question is cool. So you can take that giant contract and you just, obviously it wouldn't be one line of code. It'd be hundreds or thousands or whatever, however yeah. many lines of code you need. Um, the 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 question is is well why 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 would I why would I do that instead of just signing my fifteen hundred page document? Well, first of all, you would um, you'd save yourself a couple of hundred million dollars in legal fees and advisory fees. Um, but I, I'm talking now maybe mm. uh, ten years before we see this implementation. I don't know. Is I, it that we need to scale as well? So you've got to start with simple <clears throat> contracts where you and I, I sell you a product. Which is 99% of all contracts, yeah, which by is, the way. Sure. Which is exactly. the majority. So we're going to start with simple stuff, interactions let's start with, let's, between individuals. Let's start with a house, a house sale, yeah. a deed of sale. Sure. Okay, so you, you, there's a buyer, there's a seller, uh, there's uh, there's an estate agent, there's usually there's the three parties, and there's the conveyancer. Those are your four party, principal parties in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, all of that gets reduced to a couple of lines of code. Uh, so when I authorize as the seller, I authorize the agreement. Mm. The agent then verifies the agreement, so he or she gets her cut. That then gets uh, sent to the conveyancer. The conveyancer does their component, and it's now we're talking about logging in and verifying uh, something as opposed to reading through screeds of documents. Mm. Uh, and then the buyer signs off voila okay contract everyone and, gets paid and this this happens and on a, everybody gets paid in, at, at the same time and, yeah. and this happens on the network um but for example with uh, with something like uh, like ether uh, smart contract but yeah. but it actually has a monetary value yes so so now my question is well it's got a monetary value so if it's a, a large monetary value to 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 put my contract through there i have, have to pay because I have to own Ether to do the contract. I have to own a portion of no. this of this currency. No, you don't actually. So how um, can I use the system without without the system is not just a, a currency system. It's not just for currencies. Um, contracts and currencies are separate. Yeah, look, you still have to pay. Mm-hmm. And, no, and pay so because the, for to verify the same way as block, as, as Bitcoin, mm-hmm. so those those transactions still need to be verified on the network. Yeah, Ethereum network. Um. And with that comes fees. That's called gas, but it doesn't matter. So, but the users will pay in ether, which is the currency of the. So, um, 
yeah, I, I mean, I suppose you're right. I, yes, my, okay. my only but thought is you can do the same thing with Bitcoin, right? So Bitcoin <clears> um, is also – it doesn't only exist as a currency. You can divide, you, it, it can also carry data, right? No, Bitcoin is mm. only a cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is, is, a, is, a, is a pure financial Okay. Network. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, so fine. But so let's use how much is how much is uh, uh, an ether coin currently? Uh, it's about three hundred dollars today. And you would need a small portion of the three hundred dollars. This is, my, my only concern is if if a, if a, if ether becomes worth three hundred thousand dollars a coin, mm-hmm. and you needed you know one hundredth or one thousandth or one right. even millionth of a coin, mm-hmm. you start talking um, that these things are actually. That amount you've got to pay, which yeah. at the moment is relatively negligible because you probably, for a few lines of code, you need very, very minimal of it, that $300. It costs you for about $5. Yeah. To, do, to, to verify a transaction on the Ethereum network right now, uh, it's scaling all the time, but on average, it's about $5 tops. Cool. My, my, my question is, is when a, when a bit, when an Ether coin is worth uh, you know, three hundred thousand or three million dollars. Mm. Bitcoin, Bitcoin's what about fifty thousand dollars currently a coin, isn't it? No, no, no. no. Uh, so, sorry, five thousand, four, four thousand three hundred, yeah, four, four, yeah, sorry, it's, it's 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 taken ups and downs recently, but it yeah, always does. Yeah, sure. So fifty grand in in rand Rants, terms. Yeah. Yes. What I'm saying is, when when you get to the yeah. point that it's a lot of money, scale. Yeah. Then then <laughs> does even a small contract become very expensive? No, actually, it becomes cheaper. Okay. This is the beauty of the. Of, this is the. This is another piece of the beauty of of the of the of the protocol, is as the system scales and uh, if anyone's been following the Bitcoin community or the crypto community for the last eighteen months, network scaling or protocol scaling has been the central issue around it. So you've had soft forks in the network. You've had hard forks in the network. I'm not going to bother explaining. I think it gets too complicated. Um, and uh, and you've it changes in the network though in in the in the processes <clears throat> of the network. Uh, n- n- well, no. In w- w- what a fork is is um, um, most of the cryptocurrencies in the world are are built on the blockchain. Uh, sorry, on the Bitcoin protocol. They just take that code, they add their own code to it, and that's called a fork. So they take the original code, which is which is uh, freeware. Uh, it's uh, uh, they write their own code on top of that mm. with their own rules, but they use what thousands of or hundreds of thousands of or whatever developers have created before them. Mm. So they're basically – it's freeware. So you're basically downloading stuff that other people have done, and then you're creating your own system on top but of that. But every time they do that, there's a fork. And that's a fork. Which so is, let's let's not go into forks because okay. that's a whole other yeah. side okay. issue, and it's not important here. So just come back to the scaling debate. Yes. So the scaling debate has has been dominated by a number of issues, which have which have triggered uh, uh, a hard fork quite recently into from Bitcoin uh, Core to Bitcoin Cash, um, uh, which is probably the one that your listeners would be aware of if they followed it. Um, <clears throat> as the network scales, more and more uh, nodes and uh, um, miners climb on board. Uh, simultaneously, what the coders are doing, these Bitcoin core coders, are um, writing technology that speeds up the transaction process. So we are now at a point where three months ago, for instance, a, a Bitcoin transaction would take about 10 minutes to verify. 
which is one of the reasons why it's not very utilitarian. Because if you're standing in the supermarket queue yeah, and you want to pay, you can't, can't stand around waiting for, for that app. Obviously, yeah. So um, when it's an e-commerce transaction, not a problem because you're on the internet and who cares? And when it's verified, it's verified, and your goods are going to be delivered 24 hours later anyway. So uh, you know, Amazon is is taking is, is taking Bitcoin, is accepting Bitcoin. So that's an ideal business model in in, in, a, in an e-commerce and, uh, an environment. Um, in your supermarket or coffee shop, not so much. Besides the fact that with it being so volatile, um, it doesn't make for a high utility uh, of course. functionality. I mean, you, you can't determine the price. You can't determine the price. So if, you sell me the, if you sell me those headphones for half a Bitcoin now, I pay you half a Bitcoin and say that half Bitcoin is worth $2,100. Tomorrow morning, it might be worth $1,900 and you lose $200. Conversely, I gain. Conversely, you, it might go to $2,300 and you're $200 wealthier and I'm $200 worse off. So it doesn't, add for, doesn't make for great utility, but that is coming in time. So go back to scaling. So the scaling debate is there's, there's the SegWit, uh, there's Lightning technology. It's all been added to the network. Um, <clears throat> and now a Bitcoin transaction on average from three months ago is about two to three minutes. Okay, so we, we're going to get to the point where it's a couple of seconds. You're going to get to the point where, well, I, I don't know, but I'll tell you this about, about this much I do know about about Ethereum. Vitalik uh, stood up about a couple of weeks ago at some tech crunch or wherever it was. So and we gave the guy a hard time about being a nerd. Please tell me he's very wealthy and he's surrounded by supermodels most of the time. I, 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 <laughs> he's very, I'm pretty sure he's pretty wealthy. I have no idea. <laughs> but he wears he wears T-shirts with unicorns and things on it. So yeah, he's like, a strange fellow. He's a strange fellow, but he's a damn genius. So he stood up. So he stood up at uh, or he sat down at, at TechCrunch and <clears throat> he publicly claimed that the Ethereum network would, within a within a year to eighteen months, would scale to be able to handle at the same pace, the same rate, so the billions of transactions a day that the Visa network handles. At about one tenth to one twentieth of the price. So, Visa, being the world's biggest um, money clearer, basically mm. uh, interbank clearer, uh, Visa right now and Mastercard are shitting themselves big time. Which, right. is, which is why everybody and the banks included are climbing into this. Right. Uh, okay. So, so that brings us to yeah. Well, you want to get to Project Ubu? We, get to I mean, that's we, the we can. Oh, but I, the whole podcast. <laughs> I mean, 40 minutes in, they haven't even spoken okay, about let's, it. Okay, let's go straight into it. Yeah. So Project Ubu, so you're the chief executive of, of that project. So basically, it's it's a it's a sort of a cryptocurrency, but your big uh, reason for doing so is to actually bring people into an economy where they don't actually fit in at the moment. So can you just define someone who is, uh, who does fit into the economy and those who are excluded by the economy? Yeah. And... How will this solve that issue? Okay. Uh, this is now much simpler. Yes. Easier yeah. to understand territory. Okay. So in very, very simple terms, there, there are two types of people in the world. Those who are economically included and those who are economically excluded, whichever definition you use. So <clears throat> let's take uh, poverty as a, an example. If you're born into poverty in India, in Africa, wherever, it doesn't matter. Um, your chances of escaping that poverty trap are, are minuscule. Yes. Uh, you get the occasional hero story of some, you know, some kid from the back end of Bangalore 
who makes it into the national cricket team in India and you know, he's a Hollywood, Bollywood hero and a millionaire and he's got millions of supermodels surrounding him overnight like that. doesn't matter what he looks like. Anyway, those are the absolute exceptions. So if you're born into poverty, you're never going to get an education. Uh, you're never, you're never, never going to acquire any skills. And essentially, uh, you either live on handouts or you live on – well, on handouts or some shape or form or manner. You live on grants, um, support from from the United Nations, from yeah. or, uh, or, or, yeah, NGOs or, or begging on the street, whatever. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite uh, examples of that is these guys in uh, uh, in Joburg, particularly, but I've seen I see them more and more frequently in Cape Town, in PE, uh, in Durban. You know, the guys that go around on 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 recycling day, and they take all the paper and cardboard and plastics and whatever else. Yeah, they they're put. fantastic. They're brilliant. <clears throat> but those guys, it's an, it's a it's a great and simple example. Those guys, I've I've by the way, I've spoken to about thirty of them. Personally, I'll stop on the side of the road and have a word with them because I think they're amazing people. Yeah, they they are skillless, jobless, they're poor. They live hand to mouth. Um, <clears throat> now, as a human being, as you know, medical doctor, you need so, so many kilojoules per day in order just to live. Otherwise, you'll starve to death. Yes. Um, and energy is a great way of of, of explaining it. So, um, if your if your energy uh, if you don't have enough food to eat, your energy levels drop. Um, and you're, you're less and less and less and less productive. You can only get so much done. So with the right balance of nutrition, your brain gets grows faster, you're more cognitive, uh, you're physically in better health, and therefore you're a more productive person and you can do, you can contribute more to building an economy. Simple equation. So go back to the guys pushing those, the, the recycling guys. They go up at 4 o'clock in the morning, they spend hours and hours and hours trolling through the suburbs, picking up the stuff, and then they go flying down St. Grayston Drive at 60 clicks yeah. or whatever, risking risking their lives, something else, to the depot. And in exchange for that, they get enough uh, enough money to buy two meals a day. That's how they live. It's literally hand-to-mouth. So <clears throat> that's an excluded person. They're never going to go anywhere unless somebody brings them on board, puts them into a program, educates them, etc., etc., and the chances of that, as we all know, are nominal. Um, Economically included people are people, fortunate people like us, who are born into circumstances where uh, we were able to get an education, where we had the right level of nutrition, um, and we are economically active and we contribute to it. The excluded are... Varying in numbers, depending on who's the World Health Organization, UN, depending on which definition there's various. But uh, it's it's between two to three billion people who on the planet are the seven billion who are economically excluded just by circumstance and just because of the way the world works. They'll never get a job. They'll never get an income. They'll never get a bank loan. They'll, they'll never, they're just excluded. Sure. So they rely on the rest of the active economy. Um, which, in general, um, especially with uh, let's go to let's take a great South African example, SASA, uh, South African uh, the, the pensions and social yeah, the social, social things, people, yeah. Uh, that costs us uh, what? Uh, if I remember correctly, about eighteen twenty billion rand yeah, in the region there. Yeah. Um, where does that come from? It comes from our tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Is that money well spent? Yeah, arguably, because you're keeping you're keeping people fed, 
um, humanitarian, and you're stabilizing society. Is it sustainable? Absolutely not. No. As we all know. That's a whole – you've done podcasts on this yourself. So <clears throat> how, do you, how do you sustain that? Um, and how do, you, how do you not rob Peter to pay Paul? Because that in itself is an unjust system and from a puritanical point of view. Um, you know, why should we pay taxes at all? Uh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, well, no, no, quotation is theft, yeah. I mean, I don't think we but, should, but yes. No, neither do I. But this is, and this is where, uh, this is where, this is where the Project Ubi thing is going. So, uh, to cut to the chase on it, um, we are, we've created two tokens, and we call them tokens because they're not actually coins, but that's a technical thing. The first token is, is called the Ubu, and Ubu is an acronym for Universal Basic Unit. Now, Universal Basic Income, um, Maybe I should go there first. Should I go to UBI first? Yeah, you can go. You can go to UBI. Yeah, it'll just it'll make it yeah. contextualize the thing. So, universal basic income is not a new thing. It's been around for depending on the version of history you read uh, since the Romans, uh, lots of, yeah, thousands of years. Which is a notion that it's a form of social grant, but it's it's much more it's much wider and more inclusive. So, it, it, a proper UBI works as follows. Uh, governments, and they're all controlled by governments. There are a couple of private ones, NGOs, but they're, they're minor and they run projects and they last a year or two and then they, they do them for, for testing purposes and then they abandon them. So a proper UBI uh, is, an, is an instance where everybody in, 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 um, in the country, uh, the state, receives a certain amount of money in whatever currency, called dollars if you're in the U.S., Per month, in return, you don't get government health care. You don't get government school uh, supplement. You don't get all the benefits of the tax net uh, and social benefits, etc., etc., etc. And you make your own your own way through the world. Now, whether you are Bill Gates or you are a, a, a homeless guy under the bridge in, in Brooklyn, you still get your $10,000 a month or whatever it is. Okay. No country has ever implemented it um, in a universal sense, and the whole idea of universal means everybody gets it. Um, <clears throat> there's uh, another version of that called unconditional, which means technically it means it's also – there are no conditions attached to it, so the money is given to you and you can do with it what you like. But invariably, those only apply to certain sectors of society. Yeah. And there's been dozens and dozens and dozens of, of, of UBI tests done around the world. And in fact, the most – the, the biggest and most uh, uh, universal and most closest to the ideology of the UBI was run by Namibia for two years. Yes. Which you know about. Which I do, yes. Yeah. Um, phenomenal success. Um, yeah. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, just off the top of my head, if I remember correctly, a decreased crime, a decreased uh, alcohol dependence, um, violence went down. I can't remember that, but there were a lot of, of, of factors yeah. in there. So basically to, to people who are economically excluded, the, 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 what a UBI brings is exactly what you just mentioned. Um, they're, more, they're able to take care of themselves, so the nutrition increases. They're able to build some sort of wealth so that they can educate themselves in some shape, form, or manner. Um, the benefits of that in communities, specifically uh, communities under pressure, is reduction of crime. Reduction of drug abuse, reduction of alcohol abuse, mm. reduction of violence, um, uh, a big spike in entrepreneurship. So the 
the the anti UBI um, groups say if you give people money, they're going to sit in their ass and they're going to drink and smoke and do nothing. But even if they even if they do that, I don't know why we should care. Like to moralize over that is ridiculous, in my opinion. Look, you can moralize all you like, exactly. Sure. But uh, there's there's actually been that there's been people a, do tend to moralize when you take their money and give it to other people. Sure, sure, and and, and that's uh, we all do. I mean, I've just done that saying we shouldn't pay taxes. You know, mm. not because I don't want to support you know uh, starving people down in in KZN or in Pumalanga or or right here in Deepslit, but it doesn't. It's it's the principle that we're talking. Um. All right, so that's what that's basically what a UBI is. <clears throat> so we are we've got a model that does that, that works as follows. We've identified that there are, and this is not new. Um, or we didn't identify; it's been identified by hundreds of thousands of economists. Is that there's a great deal of inefficiencies in in every economic system, at a national level, at a at a micro level, sure. at an industry level, at a whatever, whatever, whatever. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> um, and there's two businesses in particular that have done global businesses that have identified this and they're held up as flagships for these, this new economy, 21st century economy. And they are obviously Uber and Airbnb. Right. So what does Airbnb do? You've got a spare room at home. It's cost you money. You paid for it or you're paying a bond on it and da, 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 and lights and water and electricity. And you rent it out to somebody and you get additional income. That's that's called sweating your assets, which every business person knows you maximize your um, – <clears throat> that's unlocking value. That's there. Yeah. Uh, and it's creating uh, – it's contributing. It's growing the economy. Airbnb is growing the economies around the world. Uber, exactly the same. What does a motor car do? We all drive motor cars. I can tell you that my motor car spends 22 hours of the day in a garage. Yeah. Uh, maybe 23. Um, same. On a lucky day, 24. <laughs> So there's an asset which is going to take that, give it to an Uber driver, and he can make money. And, and yes, there's, there's, there's overheads and everything else. But those principles, I think everybody pretty much gets. Sure. I think it's called the sharing economy. Well, you, well. yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a trendy name. Uh, yeah, you can call it whatever. Valley. Who cares about that? They always come up with these stupid names. But basically, you are just unlocking the value from, from dead capital. You're from dead capital. Moribund capital, trapped capital, right. dead capital. Uh, another example, uh, which is a really good example, uh, which the world has known about forever and a day, is that of every 30% of every piece of produced food in the world, produced food being uh, not you pull it out of the garden and take it into the kitchen and chop up your onions and your and your carrots, as in it's gone through it's gone through a retailer, so it's gone into a package or loose mm, or transported or somewhere transported somewhere mm. in a tin whatever it is yeah. uh, frozen whatever uh, so 30% of that ends up in landfill fact true you took you take 20% of that 30% and you could feed a billion people every day now we all know that there's massive logistical issues involved there's health concerns there's um, uh, sure. expiry dates etc etc et but the principle is the, but the principle is there's massive inefficiency yes. there in the airline so <clears throat> lots of businesses do it. You've got stock that's the, that they're overstocked on something. What do they do? They put it on fire sale. You want to clear out your inventory. It's blocking your storeroom. It's cash sitting on the shelf instead of in the bank. Um, so what do they do? They, they fire sale it. So you've got too many desks. You've got a 1,000 too many. Fashion industry is classic for that. 
classic. Take Edgar's. Edgar's buyers every single year. Edgar's is in some trouble, as you know, and I'm not just picking on Edgar's. It's, it's a, a, a fickle industry. Oh, the only large industry. sort of clothing retailer remaining. So. No, 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 no. Oh, you mean South Africa? Like, I mean, in, in that sort of size, since that if it's folded. Yeah, we've got Jed Ackermans and, and yeah, also having some trouble. Yeah, okay, anyway, it's not sidebar, but, um, so, uh, fashion, incredibly fickle. So some buyer goes out and they buy 30,000 items of a dress that they have made, and because we don't live, South Africa doesn't really live in the internet age, we get them and we're looking at, the, it's a summer frock and we're, they're looking in our winter at northern, northern hemisphere, um, um, uh, um, northern hemisphere fashion. By the time they come in store here, it's eight, nine months later. That item has gone out of fashion for an 18, 20, 30, 25, 30 mm-hmm. year old girl. So they sell 10,000 items and now they've got 20,000 of them left. What do they do with them? Massive. Sale. No, they don't, actually. That's part of the problem. They burn them. Seriously? Seriously. They burn the stock because if they release that stock. Edgar's is burning clothing. Well, not, let's, let's not uh, pick on Edgar's. But, but clothing retailers are, are burning, burning clothing. Because if you dump it, mm. because they don't know how to sell it. So they put it on sale, and you still red hanger sale forty percent off, but it's out of fashion. So somebody, nobody really wants to buy it. So even if you reduce it from if it's a hundred bucks and you reduce it to twenty five bucks, you're still only going to sell so many, and you're still going to have X of these things left. If they dump them, they give them to charities, they do whatever, whatever, whatever. What happens is those things find their way into the, the economy, and in and this is the retailer thinking. Um, and it's been proven in certain in certain case studies that they then undermines their ability to send that takes dollars out of the economy that, that otherwise might be spent back in their store. So that's the right. trade off, de- and that's why they that, they devalue it. So that's why they burn the stock. Okay. Now, if how you does, were, how does UBI solve that? So if you ask. were if you were able to if you were able to exchange that for an alternative currency, uh, call, I'm calling it a currency token would be the right word. Um, and you were, and, and Edgar said, okay, we, we'll sell them for Ubus. And that's our first unit of, a, of account, the Ubu. Um, first of all, nobody's getting it for free. You can do it part fiat, part rands, part Ubus. Uh, or you can do it all Ubus, whatever. Vendors can do whatever they like with it. You're not devaluing that item because although I've received, as a, as a citizen, I've received my Ubus. I haven't even gone there yet and explained the system. I've received them for nothing. So it's almost free money. Um, <clears throat> but the beauty of the so-called free money, which is what UBIs do, is that it creates a culture of payment and yeah. appreciation. Even though they didn't have to work for that money, they have that money, and they treat stuff differently than when it's just a pure handout. It's proven yes. in, in dozens and dozens, uh, uh, 30, 40 studies meticulously uh, – uh, um, uh, studied, uh, reported yeah. studies around the world. Um, not all the time, but right. an ex- exceptionally high success rate. So, so, for example, someone who's a, an employee gets a salary. They value that salary because they know the effort it has taken to receive that salary. The previous month's work basically is what has been done to receive that salary. Yes. So, someone who gets a universal basic income may not value it as highly as someone who's worked for that, but because it is a, a, a currency. They still value it far more than a a grant or a handout. 
Well, when I say handout, I mean goods. So they have to actually go through the transaction process, um, and they have to select how they're going to use that token money, what that free money, let's call it. I hate the word free because it's not free, but um, theoretically it is free to the user, but it's not free to the economy. Uh, so they've had to do something for it, and they've had to budget, and they've had to make decisions and choices. So the psychology of it is, from a cultural point of view, is that inculcates a culture of payment and therefore value to, of the unit that they're getting. Right. Okay. Okay. So so how do you – okay. So I get that. So you're going to give tokens to X number of people right? on a, on a monthly basis, <clears throat> I assume? No. Let me explain it very, very quickly. So what we're going to do is that uh, we call them – we call beneficiaries – we don't call them beneficiaries. We call them citizens because – Beneficiaries is loaded with subtext yeah. that we don't want. It doesn't matter. So we call them citizens. Anyone on, anyone right now in South Africa can sign up for it. Um, we are on a controlled rollout, so um, we'll get there. But um, and all the information is available on the website, so I'm not going to I'm not going to go through the detail. So if you sign up for it, um, all you need right now is uh, to download our e-wallet, which is a, which is a which is a blockchain enabled e-wallet. Everything runs through the blockchain. Um, not our blockchain. We haven't built our own blockchain. It runs through the Ethereum blockchain. Um, <clears throat> and we issue 100 units UBUs a day to every citizen who's registered with us. doesn't cost them anything other than the effort to sign up. That gives a little bit of information about themselves. Um, we need, uh, because of the app or the e-wallet is geolocation-based, so we don't push offers to you sitting here in Joburg for a store in Cape Town, for argument's sake. So we're only going to push them to within certain parameters, depending on how the vendor wants to use that. Mm. Um, you know, you'll have two different stores in the same chain, maybe a franchise chain, and you've got a, whatever, a wimpy franchise, yeah. and you're doing one deal, and Roman's doing another deal, and he's also got a wimpy franchise 10Ks apart. We can handle that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> so we issue 100 of them a day to, to, to everyone, so 3,000 a month. That's the that's the easy part. <clears throat> the difficult part uh, is now bootstrapping that into the vendor space. So vendors is anyone from merchants to uh, any sort of organization, NGO, um, tele, uh, mobile networks, data providers. There's lots and lots and lots of low-hanging fruit there. And even the banking and financial uh, system are, are showing quite a lot of interest in this. Um <clears throat> And we are leaving it up to the vendors to decide and determine what value they place on Anubu. So let's go back to let's go back to the the, the dress version for Edgar's. Um, and this is not this is not fact, by the way. I'm just giving this as a story. Mm, no, so so they've got some excess dresses. Um, they drop the price from 100 rand to 50 rand, and they offer you another 10 rand off if you pay them with a thousand Anubus. That then pushes a value on the Ubu of one cent mm -hmm. if, if, on a straight yes. numerical basis. So if I've got a thousand Ubus in my e-wallet uh, and I can get 10 rand off or 100 rand off, why wouldn't I? It's like e-bucks, same sort of thing, although yeah. e-bucks you've paid for. Different story, but we think that they're really not. But anyway, and I'm not knocking eBacks. eBacks is a great system. It's a fantastic system. There's lots of parallels. We learned a lot actually from the eBacks system. Um, so basically what the vendor does there is then puts – he or she places the value on the Ubu unit. 
Now, whether it's one cent or 20 cents or one rand or five rand is entirely up to them. Okay. Over time, and as that starts to scale, because that creates volatility, obviously. So if you're offering one cent for an ubu and Jonathan's offering 10 cents for an ubu, well, you know, it's a, it's a volatile currency that, 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 that lowers the utility, etc. But over time, and quite quickly, because we need to scale this very quickly, that trading band between one cent, ten cents, ten cents, one rand, whatever it is, will narrow quite significantly yeah. and it'll become stable. And so that is why we are not listing, although the Ubu unit is de facto a cryptocurrency, runs an ERC20 smart contract, run on the Ethereum network, it, uh, it will not be listed on exchange. We don't want it to be a volatile. Cryptocurrencies are highly volatile because they're speculative instruments. Yes. So we, we've got to keep that as stable as possible uh, to mirror pretty much what the rand is. So okay. you know that if you walk into a store uh, with 10 rand, you could buy a can of Coke. You might walk into the store next door and it's 9 rand 50. That's just a pricing mechanism. So that's the theory behind it. <clears throat> and then there's the second token, which is the UBX, the UberX. Right. Now, the UBX is a bootstrap. Uh, it's a derivative of Ubu. There's a direct link between the two. Um, and that is the token uh, that it's a cryptocurrency. It will be listed on exchanges. We're in the process of applying for them. Um, and we are in the process of what is called an ITO or an ICO, uh, initial coin offering, initial token offering, which is a fundraising mechanism where investors can buy our tokens, which we then deploy into the Ubu sphere, the ecosystem, to sign up vendors, to just uh, to, to uh, sign up citizens, uh, and to get the to get the system up and running. Okay, so it's a for, to get a bit of liquidity into it's the system, liquidity through, into the through system. the Ubu X. Yes, and then what will? Okay, so this is maybe a very obvious question, but it doesn't come to me. What will determine the value of the Ubu X? Well, we've determined that we've fixed a price on it at five dollars. Okay. There's uh, 22 pages of mathematics and economics in our white paper that explains it. Um, there is also a short. Uh, I've got it in front of me. One, two, three paragraph explanation, which is much easier to read. And then what will what will one be able to do with the Uber? Is it so just, one, is it just a value a it's holder? A, it's of value? a cryptocurrency, okay, like so any other cryptocurrency. Okay. So as soon as it's exchange listed. Um, wherever we get it listed on whichever exchanges, then the volatility comes in. You know, okay. we started at, we listed at $5. The market might decide these guys are smoking their socks. It's only worth $1. Yeah. Uh, or they might go, Hey, we really like this idea and we see how this, this, uh, the system can work and pushes it to 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. Okay. So UBX will, will, will bring liquidity into the project to make UBU viable for, to make well, the entire ecosystem Viable, right? And, oper and operational. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I think that that's, that's yeah, it's it's a simple to understand. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I understand we're that. we're we're using archetypal capitalist methods of fundraising, in the modern version as opposed to an IPO. Yes. Mm. Um, uh, and there's lots of criticisms around ICOs, um, and governments are shut closing down on them. The Chinese, the Koreans, the SEC has issued instructions. The Australians are onto it. Uh, the Reserve Bank I know is talking about it. Um, and and uh, we understand that, and I, I understand the importance of of those kinds of regulations. The reason for it is that over the last three years or so, that since these ICOs have taken out taken off, a large number of them have been absolute scams. Oh, yes. you got two guys, two nineteen year olds who've not written a piece of code, who write a white paper 
that says a white paper is a basically a marketing document with a principle behind it. It says we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, they register a company in the Isle of Man or in Cuba, not Cuba, in um, uh, Virgin Isles, Virgin Islands, Islands, Virgin Islands or where some uh, Mauritius, wherever. Um, <clears throat> and they stick it out there. They put an, an ITO out there and thousands of gullible people go, ooh, this is a good idea. You're astounded. Only t- on average, only 20% of investors actually bother reading a white paper. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they put in $100 or $1,000 or $10,000, whatever it is. And these two um, – I, I'm, I'm aware of one particular one, so I'm just telling a story. These two particular individuals collect 50 million US dollars. And all the And they go to Monte Carlo, buy themselves a nice house and a couple of Ferraris. And nothing ever happens. So there are scamsters abound. So if I'm going to make one absolute plea to anybody who looks to invest in cryptocurrencies of any shape, form, or manner, read the white paper. If you don't understand the white paper, ask the questions. Find yourself a cryptocurrency group. There are a number of them in South Africa. Um, just Google on the, on the internet. Uh, g- get involved in the space and ask people like me and thousands of others who understand something about this space how to do this and, and how to go forward. So before you go and buy any Ubu X tokens, Ubu X tokens, please read our white paper. It is 82 pages long, but it's got nice pretty graphics in it. That's 70 pages more than the Bitcoin one. <laughs> Yes, I know. <laughs> but it's far more, it's far more involved. The Bitcoin one's actually quite simple. It's a peer-to-peer it, cash. Well, that's the beauty of it is, is, is that, yeah, no, we've got to explain a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but 22 of those, of the 70 to 82 pages is, is pure mathematical economics. It's the yellow paper, which is a, which is a, written by a, by a, by a very, very, very high grade mathematician, uh, <clears throat> signed off by Cambridge educated South African guy, uh, from Durban. Um, brilliant mind, absolutely brilliant mind. Um, he's just been a, he's been a phenomenal part of our team, uh, and verified by, uh, two heads of mathematical departments at two leading universities. So the economics and the mathematics is hard. Yeah, it has been vetted. Yeah. All right. I mean, I think, I think it could be a good idea. I want to see how. I like the fact that it's UBI without taxation on the one side. Can, can, can I ask how we get to the U part? Because, like, it's not universal currently, right? So you you can't sign up 55 million people. No, no. And and so… Well, we can, but not… Not, not currently. Uh, well, we could. We could sign up, but we've got the system to do it. It's the, the, so the, the tech is robust. We could sign up 55 million people uh, But you can't give them 100 Ubus each we every could. day. We could. Give them 100 Ubers each every day. But? but what are they going to do with them? Yeah. So you've got to – this is a process. I mean, this is going to take – we estimate it's going to take uh, 10 years to get to 500 million people. That's our business model. And 500 million is roughly half of the African population. So we're, right. we're, we're, we're starting then, out. And, then in, and, then, and, and at that point, they'll, an Ubu will mean something. They'll be able to walk into a shop and go – I've got Ubus I want to spend. If we get this right, yes. It's now, you know, the theory is all there. It's mm. now the implementation. Uh, into, to implement it, we need a lot of money. To scale it, you need a lot of money, mm. uh, which is why we're doing the ITO. Um, so that's, uh, the, the, the ITO closes on the 3rd of November. And uh, from there, we 
we've got five or six versions of a business plan based on how much money we raise. And then it's a matter of speed. Uh, we raise a lot of money. We can scale it quickly. Mm. Um, we don't raise so much. We can scale it slower. Sure. So. Okay. Well, right. so, uh, I mean, it's all online, projectubi.com, I believe it's called. Projectubi.com is the URL. Um, everything is on there, including a link to the, to the ITO site, which is, uh, and the white paper. So if you've got insomnia, the white, the white paper is available. I've read the first part. The mathematics, I got, I got a D plus in standard grade mathematics. So. Just well, at least so you got you know. a plus. He's a claim to fame, man. Eh? <laughs> I'm no Stan- mathematician either. Standard grade. Did, did the, did the, grade. That's okay, where they the, gave you the answer. The yellow paper. For writing your name. Yeah. <laughs> Spelling your name correctly. That was right. one mark out of 50. <laughs> right. Being able to pronounce pseudonymous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So all the details, as Ramona said, on the website. Um, if you want to invest in the ITO, then early November. No, 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 it's live right now. Live now, but but up until early November. 3rd of November it closes. Right, and you can pay with Bitcoin, I saw, you can pay with Ether, and you can pay pay with with Rand Dollars. Rands and Dollars. And Dollars. Who the hell would want to get rid of the Dollars now? I don't know. But Rand Dollars, yes, get rid of them. Because it's international. No, of course. I was making a joke about local Mm. people. Mm. Yeah, Dollars. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's, um, I think... for some of the listeners and for me, a little bit of a mind-bending kind of podcast because uh, all of this crypto is – you can try and make it as simple as you can. And I've been reading up on, on, on crypto for about a year now mm. um, and trying to understand it better. Um but it's 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 complex. It really is. It really is quite complex. I think it's it's complex if one doesn't understand how fiat currency is made. That is that is such a good point, Roman. Yeah. I mean, how do you know what a rand <clears throat> is? What is the value of it, and who creates that value from it? And then, if you if you know that, crypto makes a lot more sense. I found you. you it, that is an incredibly important point. In fact, the very 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 first link I put up on the website, and by the way. Yeah, and I'm not promoting our own website, but I've curated. Yeah, promote your own website. <laughs> no, no, I've, I've created about 30, 40 articles under four different categories. Mm. Uh, that's on the references section of projectubu.com. Um, uh, under cryptocurrency, under blockchain, under universal basic income, and under history of money. Yeah. Now, the history of money is, if you, you want to understand it to Ramon's point, there's a, there's, there's a bunch of articles there. There's also uh, a YouTube link. It's an hour long. Which is long, but if you're interested in and you want to understand how the f- current financial system works, watch that video. It will blow your mind. Yeah, yeah. And then once you understand how fiat money is created, fiat is is government backed yeah. money, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you understand how that works, crypto makes a lot more sense as well. Personally yeah. speaking. Awesome. Well, uh, as always, uh, you can donate some of your currency to this podcast if you enjoy it uh, using Patreon. Uh, we appreciate all of our patrons who uh, are helping to make this podcast better every month. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, Facebook uh, Renegade Report group and the Renegade Report page. On the group, we have good discussions about all kinds of topics, economic, political, social. Uh, and on Twitter, at Renegade underscore report, where occasionally you'll find myself tweeting, but usually Ramon saying dodgy things without grammar. Uh, and thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Bye.
This is CliffCentral.com.